Turn with me to Acts chapter 13 and verse 4. Acts chapter 13 and verse 4. Jesus dealt with a lot of opposition in his earthly ministry. Uh, The religious leaders uh, and and some of the people that were in charge in Jerusalem uh, didn't like very much what Jesus was doing. And so they would come, and they were plotting ultimately to kill him. Uh, But they would attack him with words. They would accuse him. They would ask him questions and try to trip him up. Uh, They would try to uh, thwart what he was doing through criticism. Uh, In many different ways, they were trying to stop the work of God that God was doing through Jesus Christ. The opposition of the devil continues to the work of God today. Uh, And it is something that happens if you are a Christian, if you're a child of God, uh, the devil will be against you. Uh, If you're a Christian family, the devil will be against your family. Uh, If you're a Christian church as we are, then the devil will be against the church. Listen, I wanted to tell you something. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Uh, Christ is greater. Satan struck Christ's heel at the cross, but Jesus crushed his head. (laughs) Uh, Our Savior is so much more powerful than the enemy, it's not even comparable. Uh, and, And God is able, exceedingly able, to handle whatever the devil may bring against us. But we need to recognize that there will be opposition against the work of God in our lives. If we don't recognize that, we're going to be disillusioned and discouraged when we find out that when we try to do what God wants us to do, that the enemy is opposing us in it. Uh, But if we recognize that that happens, then we can just say, hey, this is what's supposed to happen. Uh, And what I do is I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I follow his leadership and I do what God's called me to do. And I will persevere and do the work of God despite the opposition. And Jesus Christ can bring us through the opposition to the other side. Um, And so we need to understand that. Listen, if you're a parent today, you need to be praying for your children. We come against the enemy through the power of prayer. We come against the enemy through faith as we trust the Lord with our kids. You need to be praying for your spouse. You need to be praying for this church. And, of course, be praying for yourself as well. Uh, The scripture that we're looking at today, uh, Saul of Tarsus, also known as Paul, the apostle, uh, is traveling with Barnabas. And they are going on their first missionary journey. Uh, and they, they come to the Isle of uh, Cyprus. And they're going across this isle. And they get to the city called Paphos where they find uh, a man who is a powerful man. He's a proconsul of that region. Uh, and he asks for them to come and tell them about Jesus Christ. That's always exciting to me when I get an invitation to come to somebody's house to tell them about Jesus. I I really, really love that. Uh, So if you want me to do that, feel free to do so. I will be very excited to do so. Uh, But uh, in this case, there was also a man in 
the proconsul's court there, uh, and his name was Elymas, and he was a magician, uh, a magi, uh, who was also a Jew, which is kind of a, a contradiction. They, they, Jewish people, as well as Christians, are not supposed to uh, be involved in these kinds of things, but uh, he was, and he was opposing the giving of the gospel to this proconsul by the name of Sergius Paulus. And, and he's trying to keep this man from converting to the faith. And he may have some personal interest in doing so because, after all, uh, he is Jewish, so he probably knows that what he is doing is against what God teaches. And if this man becomes a Christian, he probably will have no further need of a sorcerer in his court. And so uh, he is opposing the work, possibly for his own reasons, but behind him, as Paul will ultimately say, is another force called the devil. And the devil is seeking to keep this man from coming to faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul addresses it. Uh, God works in mighty power. Uh, they come to the other side of it. The man gives his heart to Christ. And what a, a great celebration I'm sure they had at that point. Uh, but this opposition is at the very beginning of their missionary ministry. One man said that, that God called uh, Elijah to the brook and the brook dried up. Have you ever felt like that in your life? Uh, you go to do the work of God and you immediately face setbacks. But praise God because of who he is, he can overcome those setbacks. So we need to trust in the Lord in these times of opposition and call upon his name. So uh, the title of my message is Facing Spiritual Opposition. And look with me at Acts 13, 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Arriving in Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. They also had John as their assistant. When they had traveled the whole island as far as Paphos, they came across a sorcerer, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas the sorcerer, that is the meaning of his name, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul also called Paul, filled with the Spirit, stared straight at Elymas and said, You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery, you son of the devil and enemy of all that is right. Won't you ever stop perverting the straight paths of the Lord? Now look, the Lord's hand is against you. You are going blind and will not see the sun for a time. Immediately a mist and darkness fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then when he saw what happened, the proconsul believed because he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So facing spiritual opposition, how do you do it? Well, the first step is follow the Spirit willingly. Follow the Spirit willingly. If you look in verse 4, it says, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Where did he send them? To the opposition. 
Now, he had a purpose to reach somebody besides the opposition. But he sent them to the very place where they would find opposition. Did you know God has not promised us that our way will always be easy despite what some people try to tell us? The Bible says, many are the troubles of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Isn't that a wonderful truth? So, um, God calls him to the opposition, and he willingly follows the leadership of the Holy Spirit. One thing I've found in times of opposition that is one of the best things you could ever do is to listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to him at the outset. Listen to him in the middle of it, and listen to him when you come out of it. Uh, But listen to the Holy Spirit. Let him guide you through the process. Why? Because sometimes we may not interpret the situation correctly. Uh, Have you ever thought somebody was opposing you when in fact they weren't? Uh, Maybe somebody said something, you took it the wrong way, and, and maybe you blurt out a response and only to find out later that person didn't even mean what you thought they meant, and you're embarrassed because you kind of stuck your foot in it. And, um, and so um, we need to listen to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes he may tell us to keep our mouth shut. Did you know one of the smartest things you could ever do is to close your mouth? That's what Proverbs says. Proverbs says, the wise man holds his peace, but fools blurt out all they know. Okay, so when you have self-control in a difficult situation, that is a great blessing from God. Uh, Sometimes you might have to pray for that. I've I've been in some situations where I've had to do that. And so, um, listen to the Holy Spirit. Other times, the Holy Spirit may have you... Uh, address it, but perhaps wait to address it and pray. That's what I like to do most of the time, is to wait and pray about what I'm going to say, how I'm going to say it, and so forth, and follow the Spirit. But sometimes the Holy Spirit leads us to address something right away. And I've had that happen maybe once or twice in my ministry where I just felt compelled to speak uh, I felt under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, we, if you listen to the Spirit, He can help you from getting in trouble uh, in doing it the wrong way or at the wrong time. Um, but most of the time, what I've found, the best thing to do, if, if you give it some time, you cool down, you can think about it, and you can come up with a good plan. And sometimes, after a couple of three days of praying over something, I realize, hey, I, I don't even need to address this. I blew this out of proportion. This is not really what I originally thought it was. And so, follow the Spirit willingly. Uh, and uh, the Spirit will not always lead you in the way that people think you ought to go. Uh, I can remember... Um, I remember a time we were, we were going through some great trouble in the church that I was pastoring at that time, and uh, there was a man who was the center of most of that trouble. And somebody told me, he said, you need to rebuke this man, you need to, you need to deal with this problem. And, uh, and I, I, I went and I prayed about the situation. I just did not feel freedom to do that. I felt like I was supposed to wait, and it was not the time. And so... 
the problems continued. Uh, uh, probably about eight months later, a, a circumstance came along. It became the right time to deal with uh, the situation because of some things that came up. And uh, we dealt with that situation. It was a whole lot better than it would have been had I tried to deal with it before. Sometimes you just got to listen, and people will misunderstand it. Well, you know, and that guy told me, he said, well, you, he said, you need to grow a backbone. You need, and he was telling me all these things about myself. You, you need to address this problem. Uh, you need to take the bull by the horns. And, uh, uh, and, and, and he, he, he just co- totally misunderstood what I was doing. That's okay. People can sometimes misunderstand. If you're following the leadership of the Holy Spirit, then the misunderstanding of people is secondary to being obedient to God. Um, But in times of opposition, listening to the Holy Spirit is critical. Uh, They were led by the Spirit where they were to go. Uh, Paul was led by the Spirit what to say. And it's very, very, this is a very stout rebuke. I mean, he didn't leave too much left to be unsaid. Um, but the Spirit, he says he was filled with the Spirit, and then he spoke. Right? So the Spirit is directing what he's doing here. All right? So facing spiritual opposition, how do you do it? First of all, follow the Spirit willingly. Secondly, Share God's word consistently. Share God's word consistently. Verse 5, arriving in Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. I think that's one of the reasons the devil was opposing what they were doing, because he hates it when the word of God is being shared. Listen, I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people tell me, oh, I got involved in evangelism and every, all the wheels have come off in my life. Why? Because the enemy doesn't like it when people hear about Jesus, when the Word of God is being proclaimed. Um, but we need to proclaim it. Why? Because the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. What does Paul say in 2 Corinthians? He says, we don't fight with ordinary weapons. We've got spiritual weapons that are mighty for the pulling down of strongholds and every high and lofty thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ and of God. The Word of God is a spiritual weapon that you can use. Now, uh, how do we use that weapon? Well, we, we, we share the truth. We speak the truth in love. Okay? And as you speak the truth in love, there is power in the Word of God. Um, Parents, I I want to encourage you, quote Scripture to your kids. My my mom used to quote me, the way of the transgressor is hard. (laughs) I heard that one a number of times as I was growing up. But uh, quote Scripture to your kids, especially those Scriptures that have meant a great deal to you. Uh, Teach your kids the Word of God, and one way you can do that is by repeating it. And so when you get that opportunity to talk about the Word of God, repeat that scripture. Uh, My mom used to, she made up this silly little song about Psalm 34 and taught it to me and my siblings. And we thought we got a kick out of it, you know. And uh, we still to this day can sing that song. Uh, Don't ask me to sing it because I won't. Uh, but we can still sing that song. It's kind of a family joke when we get together sometimes. We'll, we'll, we'll do, do a little bit of it. 
But can I tell you something? I have that scripture in my heart. And when the enemy comes against me, I can quote that scripture. So what you do as you teach your kids the word of God, you're equipping them with weapons they can use after they come to Christ and they can do spiritual battle with those weapons. Uh, I'm grateful for the ways that God's word was built into my life and it's helped me a great deal. Um, if you're a preacher of the gospel, um, listen, preaching God's word, there's, some, there's power in it. I, one, one evangelist I heard said, the wheels of God grind exceeding slow, but they grind exceeding fine. Uh, often uh, in our culture, we're told that we should abandon the word of God uh, to talk about pop psychology or felt needs, but God has called us to preach the word as pastors. We're called to preach the word. Uh, and there's a power that nothing else this word world can offer that will come through the word of God when it is unleashed in the heart of a human life. And that, those wheels may grind exceeding slow, but they grind exceeding fine. I believe God has used his word to change people that in, in the churches I've pastored. In some cases, to change the church. That very church where we had all of those problems, God brought revival. And it was such an amazing change that was wrought through the Word of God. Why would I want to go to something else when I've got the Word of God? God talked to Jeremiah. He said, Jeremiah, I know that everybody else has abandoned my Word. I know that uh, all of these other prophets are saying, I have a dream, and it's something they've made up. It's not even, not even real. He said, listen, but what is straw to do with grain? You don't worry about what they're doing. You preach my word. He says, my word is like a rock and like a hammer that breaks rocks in pieces. There's power in the word of God. Now, when you're doing spiritual warfare in your personal life, what did Jesus do? He quoted scripture three times when he was being tempted in the wilderness by the devil. Uh, I can remember early on when my kids were little, uh, I was losing my temper a whole lot. And uh, I put on my fridge the scripture from James, let every man be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And uh, I, would, I would go, and, and, and but that, that scripture that went down in my heart. And sometimes I would have to quote that scripture and, and remind myself, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. And so uh, another time, uh, I felt like God was saying, hey, listen, you're being tempted to covet. And you need, instead of coveting, you need to be grateful to me for the gifts that I've given you. Uh, and I memorized this verse from James. Um, every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no change, not even a shadow of a change. Because he was willing, he produced us by the word of truth that we might be a certain first fruits over the things which he has created. God made me as his first fruits. He's given every good gift and every perfect gift he's given to me. I don't got to covet. I can trust him with what I've got. And so um, uh, this is kind of how you do it. And, and then when those temptations come, you quote the scripture and, and you do spiritual warfare with the word of God. So um, they were doing this in their preaching ministry. So um, facing spiritual opposition, how do you do it? 
follow the Spirit willingly. Secondly, share God's Word consistently. Thirdly, discern opposition prayerfully. Discern opposition prayerfully. Uh, verse 8, But Elymas the sorcerer, that is the meaning of his name, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Now see, he was opposing them, but who he was really opposing was God, right? Because what were they trying to do? They were trying to win this man to Christ. So they're opposing the work of God. By the way, that's a dangerous thing to do. Uh, don't, I don't suggest doing that. We were talking in Sunday school this morning about uh, the danger of doing harm to God's people. That's another, another thing to, uh, to consider. But uh, discern opposition prayerfully. So uh, we've, we just mentioned a moment ago about praying so that you can uh, rightly discern it. Now, in this case, he's a sorcerer. Uh, he apparently is doing this opposition very overtly. But, but when Paul speaks, Paul speaks and addresses things in his heart. So the Spirit of God has given him wisdom about the situation and what's really going on. So we need to discern opposition prayerfully. Did you know that the brothers and sisters of this church are not your enemies? Now, thank God we've got peace. As far as I know, we've got nobody fighting, okay? But, but sometimes people get that messed up, right? One person thinks this other person in the church is their enemy. And, and then there's two parties that form, and then there's a, a, a wrestling between those two parties. And this party's talking about this party, and this party's talking about this party. And everybody's quenching the Holy Spirit. That's not the way God intended things to work. The real enemy is a spiritual enemy. And he's behind the scenes. So that doesn't mean we don't confront sin. That doesn't mean we don't deal with problems. We obviously... Uh, uh, leadership will, from time to time have to deal with problems doesn't mean those things but what it does mean is that I need to be careful that I don't get confused about whom I'm fighting right I am looking to the Lord to give me discernment about is this opposition against your purpose sometimes it may just be somebody's disagreement with what you're thinking okay? did you know it's okay to disagree in church not everybody has to think the same. Did, did you know that's a good thing? Did you know God created the church on purpose to where we think differently about things? Why? Because he's given us different gifts. You're called to meet different needs than I'm called to meet. And so you're going to think about the needs you're meeting, uh, and I'm going to think about the needs I'm meeting, and all of us have a little different perspective. But as we get together and we seek the Lord and we seek His will, we can move forward in His will together. Um, and, and that's a good thing. But we need to have discernment. We need to understand, hey, this person may just be giving their opinion. They might not be against me. Right? Um, and, and so uh, sometimes, though, there is a true spiritual opposition. There is a dead-set opposition against the purpose and the plan of God. And we've got to discern that so we can pray against it and so that we can stand against it as the Lord leads us. So facing spiritual opposition, how do we do it? We need to follow the Spirit willingly, share God's Word consistently, discern opposition prayerfully, rebuke wickedness boldly. Now, 
In verses 9 and 10, Paul rebukes the wickedness. Before I read that scripture, though, I want to, I want to just say, if you look at how Paul himself deals with wickedness in different places, you'll see different ways that he deals with it, right? Here he immediately addresses it in very bold, strong language. Elsewhere we see, Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, I wrote you a letter. Because I didn't want to grieve you by, by confronting you in person. And I didn't want to be grieved that I would have to confront you in person. So I wrote you a letter so that maybe it could be a little softer touch and, and we can get through this and not to have a face-to-face uh, confrontation. In another place, he encourages the church to gather together to deal with the sin in the body. Uh, and encourages them to do that without his since he's not there, uh, he says, I'm there with you in spirit. You just address this sin uh, in your church life. Uh, so um, there's different ways in Scripture. Jesus dealt with things differently, didn't he? One time Jesus, we're told by the, by the gospel writer, he knew what was in their hearts, but he didn't, he didn't address it. Other times Jesus would speak to it, or might, he might ask a question, or he might go ahead and heal that person they didn't want him to heal anyway. He dealt with those situations differently at different times. So rebuke is part, by the way, it's something the pastor's responsible to do. Did you know that? Uh, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Um, and so uh, that's what preachers are called to do, but it's also what you and I are called to do. One verse in Proverbs says, open rebuke is better than secret love. Uh, the Bible says if you rebuke a wise man, he'll love you. Uh, if you rebuke a fool- foolish man, you'll get a block. Okay, But uh, the rebuke is an important thing. This is something our culture is not comfortable with at all. Right? They don't even want you to call something sin, much less rebuke them in person. Now, I don't believe you ought to go around rebuking everybody. Some, some people think they've got a, a gift of rebuking, right? And they like to go and rebuke everybody and tell them what they think. Well, I pride myself in speaking my mind. And then they go and they say whatever, whatever comes to mind. Uh, I don't think that's what we have in mind here. But, but the rebuke we're talking about is uh, a rebuke that is intended to help somebody else that we love, right? If you're a parent and you've got kids... There's times you need to rebuke them, right? I rebuke my kids. And listen, I spank them too, and I don't apologize for it. I believe the Bible teaches it. Not abuse, but, but spanking. I think it's, I think it's biblical. Um, my kids were running for the road one day. They knew they weren't supposed to run for the road. I said, you better stop right now or I'm going to spank you. They kept right on running. So what did I do? I ran after them. Spanked both of them. I don't think we ever had another issue with, with them running for the road. Now, we had issues on other things, but not with that. But, uh, uh, it, you know, the rebuke, why? Was, was I just wanting to pick on my kids? No. I love my kids. I don't want to get them get hit by a car, right? I also 
Uh, one of the things my daddy used to tell me when he used to spank me, he'd say, Roger, I love you. I want you to become an adult that other people like. And I want you to be successful. I want you to have self, self-control in your life so you can be successful. And he would explain to me what he was doing and why he was doing it, which I think is a good thing. Uh, I try to do that with my daughter, but she usually be too mad at me afterwards for me to do that. So, uh, <laughs> But uh, uh, anyway, um, rebuke, you rebuke somebody because you love them. Or say you've got a friend. Maybe your friend is going off the deep end. And you love that friend. You don't want to see them wreck their life or wreck their family. What do you do? You go to them. And you say, hey, I'm concerned about you, and I'm praying for you, and I hope you will not make, keep making these decisions the way you're making them. And uh, let me help you. Call me if you need help or whatever the case may be. Why? Because you love them. That's the idea here. Uh, so rebuke is used in the church because we love each other. We're trying to, But in this case, Paul's rebuke is to confront Not just the individual, but to confront the power behind the individual. Jesus did some very straight rebuke to the leadership, right? One of the things I love about Jesus, there was never a sinner that came to Jesus that Jesus didn't receive. Isn't that a wonderful thing? But the religious leaders who were self-righteous, who thought they had everything together, Jesus would confront them very boldly. He called them a bunch of snakes one time. Uh, he said, you're a bunch of whitewashed teams. It, all these different things. Why? He was trying to jar them out of their complacency. To see themselves as God sees them. I think that this kind of very strong rebuke should be rare in our lives. It should only be, be done when we feel the leadership of the Spirit to do so. Um, and uh, in this case, what hope was there for Elymas? If he could see what was really happening in his life, he might have a choice to repent and be saved. But he would need to see himself as God saw him. So this is a very strong rebuke. Um, so, um, rebuke wickedness boldly. We need to do this under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. If you're going to rebuke somebody really strongly like this, I, I encourage you, let this kind of rebuke that's right on the spot be an exception. Let it be led by the Spirit. Why? Because too much of us, what, is, what does the Scripture say? The wrath of, God does not, uh, the, the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of of God, And what tends to happen with us, or I'll speak of myself, what tends to happen with me is some of my feelings get wrapped up in a situation, some of my thoughts and opinions, uh, perhaps my offense I feel or something like that, will get wrapped up in a rebuke and then it's not done in the right way. And when that happens, what it does is it, rather than building a bridge and helping that other person, it... it erects a barrier and it's kind of like toothpaste if you squeeze all the toothpaste out of the tube it's really hard to get it back in after you after you do it right uh so be careful about this but uh uh pray over rebukes that's what i prefer to do 
pray over rebukes. Pray several days over rebuke before you rebuke. And it gives God time to, to change you and for, to prepare you to do it in the right way so that it can be well received. I would do it in person as well uh, so that people can see your body language. So, um, But from time to time, there may be an immediate rebuke that is necessary. Rebuke wickedness boldly. So look at verse 9. But Saul also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, stared straight at Elymas and said, You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery, you son of the devil and enemy of all that's right. Won't you ever stop perverting the straight paths of the Lord? That's a strong rebuke, isn't it? Sometimes in opposition, you've got to speak the truth. Sometimes with spiritual opposition, you've got to directly stand against evil. Paul does so here. Uh, And then God takes care of the situation. This is under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. By the way, some people believe you should never say something that hurts somebody else's feelings. You Listen, I want to tell you something. You should not intend to hurt somebody with what you say. But sometimes you need to speak a hurtful word because it's a word that can bring life. Sometimes the only way to deal with evil is to stand against it. Jesus did it. Jesus stood against evil. Uh, listen, I don't believe, as Christians, you say, well, we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves." I had one guy tell me, he said, well, you're supposed to love me. That means you're supposed to let me do whatever I want to do. Right? I kind of wish I'd have thought up that when I was a teenager. You know, I could have told, used that with my parents. But, uh, no, I don't believe that is right. Loving my neighbor as myself does not mean I condone evil. I stand against evil. Praise God for parents who stand against evil with their kids and discipline their kids. Praise praise God for people in the society that stand against evil. Were it not for Christians standing against the wrong in this world, where would we be? We're in a bad enough place already. Where would we be? We need to stand against evil as the Spirit leads us. So, sometimes we speak a difficult word to face the spiritual opposition. So, facing spiritual opposition, how do you do it? You follow the Spirit willingly. You share God's Word consistently. You discern opposition prayerfully you rebuke wickedness boldly, and you trust God completely. You trust God completely. Look at verse 11. Now look, the, the Lord's hand is against you. You are going to be blind, and you will not see the sun for a time. Immediately a mist and darkness fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Can I tell you something? This is how fast Jesus can handle a problem. Everything was different. Ironically, God used the devil's work 
to fulfill his purpose. That's something we need to remember. Sometimes we, th- we look at evil in, in the world and say, well, what can God do? Uh, maybe we don't say that, but we think that. Or we look at evil in the family and we say, well, what can God do for this one that's gone astray? Or we look at evil in the church and say, what, what can happen in our church? What's, what hope is there? Look at what's around us. We serve a God of the resurrection. <laughs> he calls dead bodies out of graves. This is the power of our God. So trust him. Trust him. So the, the opposition is passed because now Elamus is going around trying to find somebody to lead him by the hand. But look at verse 12. It says, then when he saw what happened, the proconsul believed because he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. God still fulfilled his purpose. Sometimes we, we look at what's around us, we think there's no hope. Uh, how could God work in this situation? Uh, this is beyond reconciling. You need to trust God in the midst of what you're facing. Doesn't matter how great the opposition is, Jesus Christ is greater. You say, well, you don't know what opposition I'm facing. That's right, I don't. But I do know the Savior that you serve if you know Jesus Christ. I remember uh, in, in former church, uh, uh, just there were so many problems there. Um, we had, uh, I'm not going to talk about the details of it, but we had, we did have, um, there'd be five, uh, you know, five fires to put out. You put those fires, you'd have ten more. For, I mean, it was just unreal. There was no way to contain it. Uh, there was no answer for it. Everybody that I knew told me, Roger, you just need to resign that church and leave. Everybody I trusted told me that. But God wouldn't let me leave. I told God, I said, God, I'm beyond it. And for a while I was praying every day, Lord, this is never going to change. God, move me, move me, move me. God wouldn't let me leave. And finally, uh, God told me, he said, you do what I tell you to do today, and you trust me. Day by day, trust me. And that's when God, after a period of about, I think it was about two, three months after that, God brought revival to that church. And listen, I can't tell you, I can't explain it. I have no category for it other than to say it was a miracle of God, because I certainly didn't have the ability to deal with the issues that were there. But God brought us through to the other side. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. God can bring you through to the other side. I don't know what, what you're facing. and It may be in your personal spiritual life. Uh, maybe it's in your family. Listen, we serve a God who's able. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of his essence. He holds the universe together by his power. You think your problem's putting him in a sweat? He's the Almighty. Trust him completely. He's able. He's able. Uh, Christians throughout history sometimes have been put to death 
for their faith. Sometimes they've suffered. Sometimes, as Hebrews says, they've died without yet receiving the promise so they could receive a greater reward. We don't know the plan of God. We don't know what role our role is in the plan of God, aside from what he's leading us to do. But we don't have to know. We're called to trust. We're called to be obedient. And as we're obedient to God, and as we trust God in the midst of the opposition, of the trouble, or whatever it is, he's able. He'll carry us through it. He'll deliver us from it, possibly. But his work will be done as we trust him. Uh, It's amazing what God can do through simple obedience. You think about Jesus. Jesus, I know he's the God-man, but it's truly amazing when you think about it. Uh, In this small, obscure place in the world, a carpenter's son is called to the ministry. Uh, And ministers for three years, invests his life in 12 men, and then is killed uh, by his enemies. Were that all the story, he probably would have been forgotten long ago, but of course, as we know, he rose from the dead. He ministered for another 40 days, investing in those men, and those 12 men turned the world upside down. Listen, listen, what God does now is not your issue. Your issue is to be obedient. Let God take care of what he wants to do through your life. So, facing spiritual opposition, how do you do it? Follow the Spirit willingly. Share God's Word consistently. Discern opposition prayerfully. Rebuke wickedness boldly. Trust God completely. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the guidance that you have provided in your word for us. Help us hold to these truths. And Lord, in the good times, in the bad times, God, help us be faithful. Help us trust you. And Lord, um, for... um, Some who are here today that may not know Christ, I pray that today would be the day they put their trust in Jesus and uh, help me as in a moment I'm going to explain the gospel and um, help help them come to faith in Jesus. And uh, for those of us, Lord, who are here today that know you, God, in those struggles and those questions that we have, Lord, help us just bring them to the feet of Jesus and trust him. And we pray it in his name.